0: There is. Uh, we actually have one of the modules in the program is called hacking happiness. And so one cool hack is using a process known as encoding. Your brain is always creating associations. You know this better than anyone, right? This is what brands do, and we can use that same strategy. So on my desk, you know, viewers won't be able to see this, but I have a blue rock that I keep on my desk, a very distinct turquoise stone. <laughs>
1: Well, hello and welcome to The Brain and Brand Show. I'm your host, Timothy Maurice, a behavioral psychology author, and my goal is to offer you practical and brave insights about how to use your brain to change your life and your business. And today, I have a remarkable guest who will share with you the biology of high performance and how to rewire your brain. Ben Aarons, welcome to The Brain and Brand Show.
0: Thanks, Timothy, for having me. Excited to be here.
1: So the way you've used your story and channeled it into a professional platform to inspire and equip others to rewire their brain is not only impressive, but I can't wait to unpack it further. But first, we have to go inside of your brain. My favorite feature called Inside Your Mind, I'll ask you seven light questions where you can only choose one answer.
0: Are you ready? I'm ready. Let's go for it. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Surfing or fishing?
0: Ooh, surfing. Number two,
1: running on the treadmill or outdoors? Outdoors. This is for the people who don't see you. Beard or clean shaven? A
0: little bit of a beard. A little bit of a beard. <laughs> yeah.
1: Nice trimmed up. Okay, cool. Conscious or unconscious mind?
0: Ooh, that's a good one. I would have to go with unconscious mind. More interesting pathways to go down there.
1: Mm. Americano or cappuccino?
0: Americano. Keep it simple.
1: Celery or carrots?
0: Mmm. I would have to go with carrots <laughs> in a pinch. A little bit more <laughs> nutrition there.
1: <laughs> Number seven and finally,
0: hope or faith? Ooh, that is a good one to end on. Let's see. Hope or faith. Hmm. I would say hope and it's kind of a gateway to a leap of faith. So let's start with hope. Let's go there.
1: I love that answer. Well, thank you so much for allowing us to go inside your mind. you help people rewire their brain and rehabilitate after injuries and other mental challenges, but let's go back to when you were a trainer in 2007. Take us through that chapter of your life before you experienced your own chronic neurological challenge.
0: Yeah. So uh, in my teens and early twenties, I really fell in love with this idea of, uh, you know, training, physical fitness, and just the idea that you could go from having a notion in your head, like I'm going to get stronger. And then you could learn and perform a certain activity, like in this case, exercises, and that would result in you actually becoming stronger. Like you initially had that thought in your head. And, uh, so I went, kind of made that my career, was also traveling and surfing and competing and, uh, helping other athletes and, uh, people recover from physical injuries. And then in my mid twenties, you know, arguably, arguably something that's the most like embarrassing thing happened that could happen to any fitness professional is that I completely lost my health, lost my fitness, got really sick with what turned out to be uh late stage chronic neurological Lyme disease. And if it gets into the central nervous system, it can really kind of short circuit a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, long story short, I wound up being bedbound for about three years, going to upward of 25 or 30 different doctors and uh was just really struggling to find my way out.
1: Why would why do you say it was embarrassing?
0: You know, I. I've heard you mention this before that we have these different layers of, um, the self, you know, and congruence is a huge thing. And so when you are internally, you feel like a, you know, a healthy person, you're putting out this image and you're making it your career. Everything is spreading out from this, uh, sort of like this beacon of, of health and this example of health. And then all of a sudden that inside changes. And now all of a sudden you not only don't feel healthy, you can't, be healthy and function in that way, it's sort of this loss of identity, uh, identity at the time. I see. I completely
1: get it. And I can imagine you're probably really good at what you were doing as well. And I'm sure, you know, in and around your community, you were quite popular. And that, that gap that started to build is a challenge. And it's one of the reasons why I'm very careful not to judge people, because I've never been in your shoes. I don't know what it was like. You know, when you were down for those couple of years, was there ever a moment you wanted to give up?
0: Oh, yeah. (laughs) You know, um, and again, it kind of goes to the identity thing. At at the time, the identity was like, keep going and just put that put that out there. But of course, you know, internally and and in retrospect, I can definitely say I lost hope. I lost faith. Uh, I absolutely, you know, uh, not only wanted to give up, I felt like I had given up many times. And um kind of led to one of the most powerful uh transformative realizations of my life, which was I always find that there's sort of like paradoxes in these big, you know, learnings. And this one was a willingness to let go of the old identity, willingness to actually be okay with sort of using air quotes here, giving up temporarily, knowing that or learning that there's no number or there's no limit to the amount of chances that we have to start over. Every moment, every breath is another chance to start over. And by doing that repeatedly, what I came to understand is that we actually create our identity. This identity is a co-creative process. It's not static. Take us through, you know,
1: what was the context like around you? But because before we get into what you offer and so forth, I think your story in of it itself is so powerful. Take us through, were you in a relationship at the time? And if so, what were they experiencing? What was it like for your family to see somebody with so much vitality and so much strength? And I mean, you're a good looking guy. You're strong. I mean, you represent, I mean, imagine the James Bond effect, right? You got like, <laughs> imagine James Bond down in his bed for a couple of years, right? It, it's it's almost harder for people around you, I can imagine,
0: yeah, I was living in Eastern Long Island at the time. Uh, in the summers, I was, I owned and operated a, uh, water sports camp. In the winters, I was doing a, a you know, personal training and physical therapy and, uh, living in a, uh, small basement apartment and everything. But I was also writing for a, um, a weekly fitness column for a local newspaper. Uh, I had a book in the works and an agent that was going to really help, uh, you know, promote it. And, uh, it was all, you know, in the health and fitness kind of sphere. And so there were things. It was like the train had left the station. And then uh, it was almost as if from one day to the next, things changed. And uh, I could no longer function on my own within a few weeks. Not only what started as physical symptoms of exhaustion and fatigue and muscle pain and weird migrating aches and pains kind of worked its way in inward <laughs> and became this really thick brain fog and neurological uh, you know, uh, issues and inability to even, uh, you know, prepare food or ooh, uh, look around and understand what things in my kitchen were. I would literally sit in my kitchen and then look at the clock and realize, oh, my God, four hours went by. Why did I come in here? Oh, yeah, it was to cook an omelet, but oh, wow. <laughs> the brain just wasn't wow. catching up. So at that time, you know, uh, everything got put on hold. Um, I had to, to move out of there and, uh, move into, uh, into my mother's house, who very graciously, you know, took me in and there I formed a semi permanent dent on her, on her couch, which actually still exists to this day. <laughs> Been begging her mom, please get rid of that couch. I'll buy you a new one. Mm. Um, mm. but, uh, yeah, uh, a lot changed and, uh, you know, friendships during that time as well. When you sort of drop out of the flow of life life goes on for other people as it should
1: yeah yeah
0: but in your own reality you know you just feel stuck yeah you know it's funny when i so i spent a
1: chunk of my year in south africa and i remember i was here for like a year and a half and um, i went through some challenges and you're right people continue to travel around the world and you're still kind of kind of stuck in a space. And uh, it's partially what led me to go even deeper into neuroscience and go back and study neuroscience myself. This is why I feel such a kinship with you. Take us through that moment where you decided to go and study the brain a bit deeper. And I mean, I'm sure you knew about the brain I before, but there's a moment, I think you went back to Berkeley or somewhere
0: to study. So, yeah, I, I attended online uh, courses. So this was after about a solid two years of kind of going around in circles and doing everything I could do from the physical standpoint, what I call the low hanging fruit. You know, this okay. included conventional medicine and antibiotics and things that uh, didn't really fully do the trick or didn't didn't. um weren't able to really get me better than going into natural and biological medicine. And again, low hanging fruit stuff for me was just, uh, you know, nutritional medicine, really cleaning up my diet, getting out anything that okay. could be a potential, uh, you know, irritant, uh, working on sleep, all the lifestyle levers that you could pull. <laughs> I pulled them and then some, and when it still failed to produce the full you know, result, uh, I had to keep turning inward. And I forget exactly how I was listening to a bunch of different podcasts. I came across a talk on neuroplasticity. And at the time I had been through so many different tests. One of them was through uh, NYU Langone Medical had done spinal taps and brain scans, and they found brain lesions in the frontal cortex. So basically brain damage. And that was one of the most frightening findings. Um, one of the diagnoses on the table was MS. And so again, at the time, I remember my concept of, of self and of kind of the way things worked as being fairly static, you know, identity. You had it and then you lost it. Uh, physicality or health. You had it and then you didn't. <laughs> and so I had this notion that things would kind of only go downhill. And as it turns out, up until just recent decades, the idea of the, the brain, it was understood that we start off with a certain no- number of neurons and then we're kind of losing brain cells throughout, throughout our life. And this talk I listened to on neuroplasticity was saying the opposite. It was saying, okay, actually, more recent findings in recent decades show that your brain is constantly developing. It's actually through a process called neurogenesis. Constantly generating new neurons and then new connections and changing. And some of the examples that they gave in this talk about, uh, you know, people who were learning how to see blind people who had never seen before, uh, because the brain was forming new connections to make that possible. Deaf people learning to hear, uh, all sorts of, you know, people who like stroke victims who had lost the use of, of certain limbs were uh, learning how to reuse those limbs. And these were things I kind of mirrored back to what I had learned when I got really, when I fell in love with physical fitness, it was this same idea that you weren't stuck with the body you had. You could actually through your own intention and actions, you could make real changes to it. And now I was learning that the same was possible for the brain. It was really no different. So I attended these online courses, uh, UC Berkeley was putting out one in 200 level courses on their podcasts, um, in neurobiology, neuroscience, reading all of the Norman Deutsch books on the brain that changes itself and um learning and implementing, starting to practice different things. At first, just changing my routines, breathing differently, changing my posture, learning the difference between, you know, so-called top-down and bottom-up approaches, how our nervous system is this incredible two-way street that not only filters information to the body, but how, when we actually change our body, when we breathe or move, in certain ways, it actually feeds new information back to the brain and can send signals of of safety, of forward motion that, in turn, really change our our biochemistry. So, um, as I was doing this, you know, it was very haphazard, but I started to feel different. I started to feel changes. And most how long important- did it take?
1: How long? How long would you say? How long? This is a key moment. How long would you say after starting this sort of radical change after taking this course? Did you start to feel and see? And was there a key moment where you were like, wait, something just happened?
0: Yeah. So um, I felt changes right away uh, by doing certain things. Like I I gave a TED talk with the title, One Deep Breath, because one of the things that was so pivotal was kind of for the first time when, when I had been in a mostly panic state, taking an actual intentional pause, taking a deep breath. And really coming to land on the other side of that breath and finding this little tiny pocket of expansion, this little pocket of, of stillness that I could inhabit. Um, and so the ability to feel different kind of on demand was fascinating, but of course it was fleeting as well. As soon as it came, it would go. So then my next question was, okay, how can I stabilize this change? How can I make this enduring? And that's where repetition comes in. And again, the brain, like any muscle, responds to repetition. So, you know, to answer your question, really, I think what what you're asking is, how long did this take to make lasting change? Um, there wasn't a day when I woke up and I said, oh, the change is done, but it was, uh, I remember after around 10 months or so, um, I was out for, for a walk and I was, I, took the subway in Manhattan and and climbed up the steps up to street level. And in this one moment, I turned around and I realized what I had done. I looked back down the steps. And in that moment, I realized how far I had come because kind of the the double-edged sword of progress is that it happens slowly. If we're doing it correctly, if we're doing it in a way that is enduring, it happens incrementally. And that's how we want it to happen because then it's it's stable. But I remembered back to having to rest and even sit down on every step, you know, previously. Um, and here I was just walking up like it was nothing. So, uh, you know, within wow. around 10 months of making these intentional and consistent changes, I was getting back into full-time life. And
1: from that moment on those steps in New York, where, where are you now, by the way?
0: I'm in uh, Long Island. Long Island.
1: From that moment on those steps how long has that been since then
0: that has been about nine years nine years ago yeah. and have you
1: revisited those steps i really believe in symbolism i mean i remember <laughs> i was in uh, tokyo and i had like a transformational moment um i was visiting doing work but there was a marathon happening And I hadn't signed up for it, but I'd gone for a run that morning and I just kind of got into the flow and people could pull me into the marathon. It was just one of those moments. And anyway, I want to revisit that place where I was pulled in because it's Mm -hmm. so symbolic to me. Have you revisited those steps?
0: I have uh, many times. Those steps are actually in in Times Square uh, where my office was at the time when I was just getting back into work. And... um, Yeah, really there are these moments, you know, I'll catch myself not just the mm. steps but many moments, you know, driving, going to the yeah. beach, surfing where I just catch yeah. myself saying, "Wow, you know, this is uh yeah, th- this is it. I I did it. I stabilized yeah. those changes." So, wow.
1: Well, congratulations, man. I mean, overcoming all of that and then deciding to form an organization to share this and to share the tools and the insights with the world is I mean, it's really, really inspiring. Um, I, how did you begin to start thinking about the model of your business? And take us through that. And, and then we'll talk a little bit about what you offer.
0: Sure. So my first you know, job that when I came back into, into full-time work in life was uh, working in biological medicine and organizing medical conferences. And so I had the real privilege of meeting and working with a lot of different Doctors of different types, MDs, NDs, DOs, neuroscientists. And, um, my job was, was to coordinate and organize these different seminars. And so I saw the real power and potential of, um, of what was kind of coming down the pike in, in natural medicine and in self-directed medicine, uh, meaning things that people could actually do themselves to affect real changes in their, in their brains and physiology. And, um, the thing that's, that, seemed like it was missing at the time, was sort of a vehicle, a mechanism of delivering all of this information. Um, so all this, the seminars, all this information was going to the practitioners, which was great, who would then disseminate it down to their their patients. But of course, as busy doctors, they only have so much time and can only work with so many patients. Um, I had also been a patient myself and met a lot of other patients in waiting rooms and realized that there was a need for it was really what I realized as, as kind of my own need and and what I wished I had when I was going through the illness journey was a community of people who were really implementing things and and taking strides to move forward. I had joined a lot of you know support groups and things, and well for a time it was it was helpful to have other people uh you know around me it wasn 't necessarily um the the thing that was going to get me moving forward. So ultimately this idea came about and uh, is actually one of those uh fellow patients from many years ago uh, that I met in a waiting room who reached out to me uh about a decade later and we formed you know together she is now my co-founder and we created what today is Reorigin which really started with the idea of a community uh education based giving people the tools to implement this what's called self-directed neuroplasticity or brain retraining. Got it.
1: And, you know, when you think about the idea of performance and reinventing yourself and evolving yourself, let's talk specifically about the role that neuroplasticity can play. I mean, for those who listen to this podcast, often they would know neuroplasticity, but let's start with for someone who's just logging in for the first time, let's define neuroplasticity and then the role that it plays high performance and reinventing yourself and growing and growing.
0: Yeah, sure. So, you know, we can think of, of neuroplasticity. Basically it's a fundamental ability that your brain has to change its structure and its function. And we now know that the brain is constantly changing and responding to new environments and new inputs. Uh, One analogy uh, that one of our members came up with that I think is sort of funny is she said she likes to imagine her brain as a pile of sand, right? And you release a handful of marbles, just imagine, on top of this pile of sand. And as those marbles make their way down, they form different grooves. These would be analogous to neural pathways. Now, the next time you grab a handful of marbles and drop it down the pile of sand, those marbles are more likely to find their way into the same grooves that have already been, been dug. Sometimes those grooves work in our favor and those can be things like, um, patterns of thoughts, behaviors, actions, chemistry. Um, and sometimes they can work sort of against us. If we fall into patterns of fear and negative thinking, um, then, if left uninterrupted, it's kind of like, you know, Newton's third law, objects in motion stay in motion unless acted upon by an outside source. So if we if we find that we're forming a lot of anxiety and patterns of even tension in the body um, and stress and anxiety and our, our minds constantly get pulled into things like, you know, worry, um, which is understandable because our brain's first order of business is to protect us. It's survival. And so it evolved this thing called the negativity bias, which basically means that Negative, uh, or potentially what could be perceived as, as negative circumstances literally will take up a little bit more neuronal real estate. So unfortunately we have a tendency to focus a little bit more strongly on the things that might not go so well or, you know, the conversation that what didn't go great or didn't give us a good feeling. But every time we attend to those thoughts, or that's to say fail to interrupt them in some, in some way, we're allowing those marbles to go down the same old paths and deepen those grooves. Now, when we use the term neuroplasticity and specifically this self-directed plasticity or brain retraining, we are actively intercepting those marbles and we are creating a new pathway. One that leads to a better biochemistry, one that leads to basically a better feeling and one that enables us to function at our best.
1: Love the idea I love this analogy. It's so simple. Everybody can imagine it. Um, when you are in a burnout state, when you are in a state uh, where you're feeling like you're declining and you want to evolve yourself and you want to really step into kind of a new chapter of your life, let's talk about how you can apply the principles to really evolve your biology to experience a higher level of performance.
0: I think it starts with... The last of the intro questions that you asked, which is hope. The first step to making a change is believing that you can and being hopeful that there is, that you're not actually stuck. And again, we know that the basic tenet of neuroplasticity tells us that nothing is static. Everything is dynamic. Everything Mm -hmm. is actually changing. And so. There was this really interesting paper that was written in 2011 and published in a journal with the title Rewiring the Stress Response, a new paradigm in healthcare. And in that, uh, he puts forth this, this notion of what's called the, the stress response versus the challenge response. And this is where our actual belief about ourselves in, in a certain circumstance, that's to say, if we believe that we have the resources to meet the perceived demands, our physiology will actually change from what's known as this threat response to the challenge response. So let's say for instance, that, you know, you have a, a big presentation or something coming up at work, you're already exhausted. You you're underslept. You're not feeling great. And our negativity bias that we spoke of in the brain would probably be pulling us down that old pathway of <laughs> discontent, uh, which is the threat response, right? So we see that we see this thing up ahead as a threat. And when that happens, the brain triggers the what people I'm sure know is that the fight or flight response uh, triggers this cascade of biochemical activity in the body that mounts us for for action, but it drives things like adrenaline and cortisol and epinephrine. And um, essentially, it essentially leads to a state of agitation and more burnout. It's not optimal for performance. If we can take that pause, <laughs> we can realize that what we're experiencing is not us, but it's a brain state. And that furthermore, you have the ability to change your brain state. One of the ways we can start to do that is using this top-down approach is through something called cognitive reappraisal. We look at that thing up ahead, that thing that felt like a threat, and we start to see it as a challenge, right? A challenge meant to empower us, to strengthen us. Um, We can form a little dialogue around that. We can use visualization and see it a certain way. Um... And when we do that, it actually changes our chemistry around it. It changes the stroke volume of the heart. It changes even the function of our cells from something called the cell danger response to the cell safety response. It means our cells start communicating better with each other. Um, mitochondria improves, so energy production improves. And just from changing our belief around the situation, we already can start to feel better. So the, uh, that's one way. The, the other way is, is to take what's called the bottom-up approach. And that's obviously taking care of our physiology, of our body, even shifting our breathing, our posture. And of course, getting a good night's sleep <laughs> can always be helpful as well. I mean,
1: what I love about your work and how you're translating it is you have such a command over it to a point where It's simple. And it's one of our missions for this show is to kind of remove the jargon and offer people a simple kind of pathway forward. You know, when you work with your team and you guys, you've formed an extraordinary team. Talk a little bit about your team and, you know, some of what you guys offer because people can sign up online. They can engage you anywhere in the world, right?
0: That's right. Yeah. So we have an online curriculum and a community. Uh, this is something that people can, uh, attend from, from anywhere in the world. We also offer group coaching in multiple different time zones. Um, the team consists of PhD neuroscientists and clinical psychologists, a lot of acquaintances that I met during that, uh, uh, second career I had in, um, uh, medical event uh, coordination, but they've really come together, uh, to form this interdisciplinary team and put together, um, a very easy to use relatable program. You know, the the majority of people, uh, that are coming to the program have been dealing with chronic stress, anxiety, burnout, and related conditions. And these include things like hypersensitivities, even chronic Lyme and long COVID. Um, we know can stem from this prolonged stress combined with a bacterial or viral trigger. Um, as well as some hard charging executives and entrepreneurs as well, uh, you know, who are finding themselves reaching a glass ceiling and not able to, to go beyond it. So, uh, when people join, they have access to the curriculum. We walk them through a proven protocol. This is a really, you know, science backed protocol. It's again, in the name of simplicity, we've taken all of this science and theory. Uh, which we do distill and, and teach. It is important to have an understanding of what's going on, but kind of similar to operating a light switch, you don't have to understand all of electricity to affect the change that you want. Similarly with brain training and your nervous system, you need to just understand the basics and then you need to be able to implement what we've distilled down to a four-step protocol, which has been derived from decades in clinical practice from different modalities, such as behavioral therapy and PRT, which stands for pain reprocessing therapy. And, um, it's something that people can implement and as little as 10 minutes a day on a consistent basis, like I experienced, they, they will start to feel, and most of them start to feel shifts right away. And then those shifts will start to solidify with repetition over time. So that in a few weeks and months of consistent training, um, this becomes their new default state. So that that state of being well resourced, well-rested, um, the capacity to regenerate uh becomes the new default. You know, people always like to ask when they get here, how long is this going to take? Right. And of course, everyone is different. <laughs> it really depends on uh where you're sure. coming from and and where you're going. Uh, but the nice thing is when it comes to brain retraining and what's a little bit different from say meditation is that it's not about deploying a technique continuously to always bring yourself, you know, back to baseline. It's about fundamentally rewiring your brain such that that baseline becomes your new default state. You no longer need to think Mm -hmm. about this. It just becomes the new you.
1: I love this evolving your default state. You know, one of the things we get in feedback is people love like... A cool hack. You've given us a couple of cool strategies, but is there one surprising hack that people could employ while they go online and sign up and they, you know, decide to go and involve themselves with your courses and your work a little bit further? Is there one cool hack that even you found surprising when you first started?
0: <laughs> there is. Uh, we actually have one of the modules in the program is called Hacking Happiness, And it's a little bit tongue in cheek, right? Because of course, happiness is this huge topic. Uh, but there actually are ways to create shortcuts in the brain. And so one cool hack is using a process known as encoding. Your brain is always creating associations. You know, this better than anyone, right? This is what brands do. Um, they create an association with a certain can be something that you see, uh, or a slogan. And then ultimately a feeling that's attached to that, that thing. So when you see the, you know, the Nike symbol and that, that slogan of just do it is ingrained, maybe simply seeing that, that swoosh out of the corner of your eye can be sufficient to trigger feelings of confidence in you. So they've created a hack. They've created a shortcut in your brain and they've done that very intentionally. And we can use that same strategy. So on my desk, you know, viewers won't be able to see this, but I have a blue rock that I keep on my desk, a very distinct turquoise stone. Now I, I got this stone in a little, one of those little sort of crystal shops in a, on a vacation with my wife in Spain. And um, it has a certain association in my brain. No one else's brain, but my brain, it means relaxation. It means rest. <laughs> it means vitality. So every time wow. it's, I'm in a midst of a stressful day or even a meeting, a Zoom call or something, all I need to do is pick up this little stone, hold it in my hand. And all of a sudden, that feeling of tranquility will come surging back because my brain has created the shortcut, the pathway to get there. So this is something that anyone can do intentionally. You can basically, the steps are, you know, find an object can be something that you already have. Uh, can be a photo, can be, uh, you know, a stone or anything that, that has meaning to you. And even if it doesn't, <clears throat> all you need to do is hold that object in your hand um, or look at it if it's a photo and put yourself in intentionally in a state where you feel how you want to feel. So I like to prompt people with this question, which we often surprisingly forget, but the question is really simple. Ask yourself, how do I want to feel? and then just see what comes up. For some people, it might be, I want to feel excited or enthusiastic or energized. For others, it might be, I want to feel calm. I want to feel at ease. I want to feel rested. Whatever it is for you, find an object that you can link that feeling to. And then the next step is simple. You just practice over and over again. Maybe every day, spend five or 10 minutes with that object, getting into a state where you feel how you want to feel. And within A week or so a few days of practicing this you will have created a little neurological association shortcut in your brain that you can use to then hack your way back into that state
1: that's incredibly powerful your website is re-origin is it dot com
0: that's correct yep re-origin
1: awesome dan aarons thank you so much for joining us on the brain and brand show
0: Yeah, Timothy, thanks so much for having me. Real pleasure.
1: Absolutely amazing. Thank
0: you so much.